When you got it, flanked it, step right up and strut your stuff. People tell you modesty's a weird you, but in the theater modesty can hurt you. When you got it, flanked it. Show your assets, let them know you're proud. Your goodies you must push. Stick your chest out, shake your tush. When you got it, shout it out loud. Now, Ula, dance. Hello and welcome to Broadway Videos this week on Broadway for August 23rd, 2020. My name is James Marino and the broad broadcast today we have peter felicia and michael portantier peter is a playwright journalist and historian with a number of books his columns appear at masterworks broadway broadway select and many of the places good morning peter good morning good morning are you uh are you progressing in this uh in this humidity with your daily walks <laughs> i'm still doing it lost 36 pounds and then we had some uh we had some big weather too yeah, so, indeed. Uh, did, you sure break, did. did you make it through the rain? No, I did take the subway those days. Yes, okay. indeed. <laughs> <laughs> also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and SAST. He's the founder and editor of KestAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at FileSpotPhoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. So we have a little bit of a follow-up to do from last week's show, which where we talked about our favorite titles of shows. And uh, we did receive a number of... Um, Castigations? <laughs> I, you know, I'm not going to say complaints, but uh, in addition to, you know, how the, when you're doing improv, you say yes and... You don't. You never mm -hmm. say no, yeah. but you say yes, yeah. and mm -hmm. and a lot of people say yes, and mm -hmm. uh, we forgot title of show. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we uh, our apologies, but absolutely sure the title of show was in the title of show. So um, it was implicitly implied. Can can we say that? So. Uh, as well as uh, our faux pas of title of show last week, we also heard word from the Broadway League that the Tony Awards ceremony will go ahead, but in an online fashion, uh, looking at uh, not many details, but they're shooting for October, uh, mm -hmm. and they've talked about what's eligible, what's not eligible. So you know, do you guys have any thoughts about uh, this announcement? I wish they had waited till next year and do two seasons. It would have made it so much more of an interesting competition. Yes, I know that a lot of people would have forgotten the shows that uh, had opened this season, though I do imagine they'd invite back people. But so many shows are not eligible um, for one reason or another, and um, and all the ones we missed. Of course, we have no idea if indeed the shows that would have opened will indeed open. But uh, that's but still, there'd, there'd be much more competition, and everybody would understand the two-year situation because, of course, this is our life. So uh, so I'm sorry they're doing it this way. And, you know, virtually uh, it's just not as exciting as doing it in person, needless to say. Mm -hmm. So that's my take. Yeah, Michael, any thoughts? Yeah, you know, when we talked about this a while ago, I said that this is such an – you know, completely unprecedented crisis uh, that I would not, I would hesitate to criticize any decision that they wound up making. But I do have to say <laughs> now, I, um, I, I don't think this was the best decision. I think what Peter and other people have suggested would have been best if they had waited and combined two half seasons. Now, of course, if it turns out that we still don't have Broadway next spring then um then that would be really bad because the uh, for many reasons but because the shows that have opened earlier in this season would basically i mean when would they ever be acknowledged if ever so um if the, if they could know that Broadway will definitely be back in the spring, I, I would have said unquestionably it would have been better for them to wait. Uh, but uh, since they don't know that, I, I, what I thought they might have done was just uh, kind of have some 
something now and uh, give out awards that were not uh, that were phrased in a different way, so they weren't competitive, so they could just acknowledge the uh, the shows that they wanted to award. For example, you know, but outstanding achievement. Uh, um, I mean, that might have been possible, sort of like a a, a, a more obvious Broadway commercial. Uh, show uh and then acknowledging shows that way but you know of course that would have required lots of asterisks and nobody wants to be outstanding musical rather than best musical and i understand all of that so i i i i guess what i would have suggested is that they wait and see and maybe do that combining of the two half seasons if they could. And if not, then at that point, try to figure out something else for to acknowledge all of the shows that have already opened, especially. And I felt that way uh, when I first heard this. And then when I also heard that not even West Side Story and Girl yeah, from the North Country huh? Huh? <laughs> are eligible because they felt that the uh, there hadn't been enough mm. nominators or voters okay. who had yeah. seen them. Mm. My answer to that would have been, well, uh, for this one year, change the rules and just say that whoever has seen them all, uh, are, those are the people who can vote in those categories. I yeah, don't think I that would have been that, so Michael. awful. That's good. Yes. I mean, you know, if the votes were like 309 to 273, so if the votes turn out to be 52 to 31. Okay. You know, for this year, that makes sense. I agree with you. Yeah. But anyway, that's not what's happening. So. Let's uh, give a little bit, uh, Michael, you gave a little bit of the information. Um, uh, 20 plays and musicals opened in, on Broadway during the abbreviated 2019-2020 uh, season, but only 18 shows that opened before February 19th are going to be eligible. And as Michael mentioned, West Side Story and Girl from the North Country uh, are not going to be eligible because uh, too few people uh, from the nominating committee saw it before Broadway shut down on, on March 12th. So I assume that they will push West Side Story and Girl from the North Country into the next Tony Awards whenever that might happen. Whenever that might happen. Yeah. And, you know, I would think just the fact that those two shows didn't have enough people to see them by their standards, I would think that that would be enough for them to make the decision to wait a year. Yes. That exactly. alone. Those yeah. two things. Because, because those, are worth, those are going to get nominations under normal circumstances and plenty of them. So, yeah. And those were two, obviously two of the biggest shows of the season. Sure. Selfishly, uh, I'm annoyed that they're going to have this because it screws up all the great trivia questions in the future. Like, <laughs> you know, which season had 73 openings in it? And, you know, yeah. and Audrey was nominated 18 times in which season? It was only one season that she was nominated 18 times. So, Does this bring us to our trivia question? <laughs> uh, well, this might bring us to our trivia question. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia? The question was, this performer appeared in a show, but not for long, that later won a Best Musical Tony. Fifteen years later, in yet another Best Musical Tony winner, the same performer was mentioned by name in a song. Who's the performer? What are the two shows? And what's the song that mentions the name? I was talking about Shirley MacLaine, who appeared in The Pajama Game, which won the Tony in 1955. Fifteen years later, she was mentioned in the song She's No Longer a Gypsy in the 1970 <clears throat> Tony winner Applause. Steve Bell was the first to get it, answering in about two minutes after we were off the air, followed by Richard Carey, Brigadude, and Robert Lobiondo. Paul Witte and later Tony Janicki said Cheetah Rivera, who appeared in the 1993 Tony winning Kiss of the Spider Woman and was mentioned in the 2008 Tony winner In the Heights in the song It Won't Be Long. The quote is like a drunk Cheetah Rivera. Yeah, <laughs> but Cheetah Rivera stayed with Spider Woman 14 solid months before leaving, about half the show's run. So I wouldn't say that qualifies in the but not for long category. Mm -hmm. See, but not for long uh, was significant here because, of course, Shirley MacLaine was discovered in the pajama game um, and made her way to Hollywood and became a star. So that's why but not for long was an important uh, uh, line there. Tony Janicki also stated that the Tony winning 1961 Best Musical Bye Bye Birdie used the actual voice of Ed Sullivan and 15 years later in the Tony winning chorus line, Alan Christine mentioned Ed Sullivan in the dialogue preceding the song Sing. Yeah, but Ed Sullivan only appeared in the film 
of Bye Bye Birdie. In the stage version, mm. the then famous Sullivan impersonator Will Jordan, who used to show up all the time here, there, and everywhere, actually provided Sullivan's voice. So that was last week's question. You know, uh, I have a parenthetical uh, point to make uh, about that, Peter. It's always amazing to me how you can grow up with a, a show, you know, with a cast album and really love it. And then, you know, 50 years later, somebody says, uh, you know what the problem with that song is, blah, blah, blah. And you say, oh, my God, <laughs> that never uh -huh. occurred to me. Uh -huh. Do you uh, Has it occurred to you what is terribly wrong with the song she's no longer a gypsy um are you talking about the uh, recent um gypsy robe type thing um no uh, no. no i no, i didn't even mean that that's a okay. whole nother level <laughs> no what is it eve is never a gypsy ah that's right she is never yeah. a gypsy she's that's not right. remotely a gypsy <laughs> she she shows up at the stage door uh she becomes margot's assistant or confidant or whatever you know i and think i'm gonna have to look this up but i think they're actually referring to the bonnie character um that um i i think it's a case where bonnie uh the bonnie franklin is uh pretending to be eve under certain circumstances I, i'm gonna have to look it up oh we'll i find see that what you mean week. i see uh, what you mean yes that yes. might be it that might be it right. and i i, I okay. have the script here so i'll look it up um yeah in fact, she, i'll even i'll even look in make believe which was um Sidney Michael's original book mm -hmm. for applause that was thrown out uh, before Comden and Green came in. We'll see if he has any allusion to that. That might be fun. I think, I think actually you've got, she, she is absolutely pretending to be, I think that's what it is. Yeah. Some, Eve or someone like Eve, but yeah. I mean, it, it is still a little sure. It's because, a stretch because the whole, you know, she's Eve was never one of them. She was yeah, never one yeah. of these. And for that matter, um, it, when the paper mill revival happened, it wasn't a paper mill revival. It was a national tour that started mm -hmm. at paper mill. Um, that song was dropped. So, oh, uh, right. So yes. I guess that, so I guess yeah. um, they didn't believe in that concept very much. Mm -hmm. So who knows? Hey, you know, yeah, this makes me think that, um, that Kerr Lockhart has predicted the future yet again, because this might be a show that can't be revived. So we'll have to think about that for the future. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. So, Peter, why don't you give us the question for uh, this week's trip? Sure. We call it Hamlet, but the actual title of Shakespeare's play is The Tragedy of Hamlet, Prince of Denmark. But what Broadway musical that's had one Broadway revival contains a song that mentions a king Hamlet? And no, it's not Rockabye Hamlet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So that's this week's question. So if you have an answer to that, email us at trivia at Broadway Radio. Don't put it in the chat window. <laughs> <laughs> email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So um, this week we were going to talk about, uh, what was it? Our favorite lines from plays and musicals but not lyrics. So, mm -hmm. Peter, set the ground rules and give us one of your favorite lines. Well, I don't know about ground rules, but um, I do think that um, we talk so much about scores and um, so much about songs and lyrics. The time has come, really, to establish that book writers have wonderful uh, lines in their um, books, and um, they really deserve some credit as well. Uh, one of my favorites... Um, Two of my favorites, I'm going to give them together because they both have the same type of concept, and that is the type of checkmate, that once somebody says something, the person who answer really checkmates the other person. <laughs> the other person has no response. So uh, that's in Gypsy, um, <clears throat> where Rose confronts um, the now Gypsy Rose Lee. It's late in the show. And she uh, says, what did I do it all for? And Gypsy says, I thought you did it for me, Mama. And what a great answer, because indeed, parents are supposed hmm. to put themselves out for their kids. And um, <clears throat> that's supposed to be the reward that you actually get the satisfaction of knowing you did it for your kid. But of course, Rose uh, had her own agenda. And as she said, she wants to be noticed and what have you. But I think that that's quite wonderful. And in The Music Man, we have a similar situation where finally Marion confronts Harold Hilton, says, one hears a lot about traveling salesmen. And he says, yes, and one hears a lot about librarians. 
And he's right. And she knows it because she has this reputation in town uh, that she might have been doing some um, naughty things with um, Uncle Maddie. Um, Madison, the the man who left mm. the library building, uh, left all the books to her. Um, so it's really great. She has no comeback any more than Rose does, because indeed those are incontrovertible situations. Yes, it's true. What can you do? That's it. They're right. Huh. So, Michael, what about you? Yeah, you know, that gypsy line is really wonderful because it implies so much. Mm. You know, I thought you did it for me, Mama, as mm. in I used to think you did it for me, Mama, <laughs> but now I realize yeah. maybe you did it for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a great line. That, that's, that's, you know, wonderful writing mm. where something is so, there's so many levels there and you don't have to spell it out, but everyone gets it anyway, you know? Um, there's <laughs> a very different kind of line. Uh, I wanted to start with someone, something fun and silly. There's a line in No, No, Nanette at the very end of Act One. Uh, uh, no, No, Nanette is in three acts. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is the 1971 version I'm talking about. I, I'm not uh, familiar with the original. But um, Nanette is about to go off to Atlantic City, and her unc- her uh, her um, her guardian uh, or uh, her uncle Jimmy uh, has given her $200 to, to do it. <laughs> um, and so she's going to go, but her, uh, her boyfriend, Tom is, he's a very straight laced mm-hmm. uh, 1920s, uh, you know, type guy. And he is shocked at this. So she, uh, <laughs> she mm-hmm. says to him, uh, uh, oh, he says, where are you going to get the money to do all these things? She, she's talking about how she's going to break out and, you know, and mm. have fun. And and she says, just take a look at this. It's $200. And he says, uh, as said by Roger Rathburn on the cast album, no decent woman has $200. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you know what, what I thought you were going for uh, when Patsy Kelly at the end says she's going to visit her grandmother in Trenton, New Jersey. <laughs> and ironically, in the on the British cast album, it's, she's going to visit her grandmother in Hackensack. Hackensack. You yes. know that, huh? Mm. And I think that's because Trenton isn't well known and Hackensack is just such a funny word. The famous yes. um, K sound uh, is there twice. So uh, so that makes sense. I love in The King and I when um, Anna hears what's been happening and says to the king, but that's a lie. And he says, it is a false lie. <laughs> um, because indeed... Um, I thought that Kelly we... Conway said that. <laughs> so, uh, um, not her husband. Anyway, uh, how do those two get along? Anyway, so it is a false lie, um, indicating that he's not quite uh, as adept in the English language as he might be, but uh, also that he always has to be right. And uh, he has to essentially uh, override whatever she says and, and, and make it even more authoritative. So I think that's... Uh, um, we have to, of course, acknowledge musical comedy, the two most glorious words in the English language. I mean, that's really important to uh, include because it's true. I don't know if I mentioned this when I was in Australia. Did I tell this story? And I don't I think 40, so. All right. I saw 42nd Street. I got there just before showtime. I was literally in the last occupied row, which I would say was about row M. Place was half full, sparse. Bus and truck, you could tell, you know, um, really touring scenery, that type of thing. An audience that just, you know, okay, you know, we're here. And um, and there's Julian Marsh saying, the two most glorious words in the English language. And, of course, I applaud. And people turn around. Nobody else is applauding. What the hell is he applauding for? You know, my God, you know. But anyway, uh, for those of us who uh, certainly care about this type of thing, um, we agree that the two most glorious words in the English language are indeed those. (laughs) <laughs> so uh uh tangentially who's going to write the play about the conways whoa you yeah know, peter i think you should uh hang time in the else. conways time in yes the conways. i just yes i was trying to think of that time title. In the conways and boy they're doing time it's just boy wouldn't you love to be a fly on that wall you know i mean whoa <laughs> Well, it's, it, you know, every, you know, every generation or so, we, we sort of have the husband and wife team that are like, how are they together? And you, you think about um, 
Oh, um, who's the crazy Cajun? Is uh, Rob Johnston? Who's the crazy Cajun? The uh, uh, James, George, uh, J- James Carville. And, James Carville, uh, Mary Matlin. Yeah, James yes. Carville and Matt, Car- Carville and Matlin. So each uh, generation, we have those. Uh, we have those those couples. Uh, so on a more serious note, I wanted to uh, find out if either one of you have ever um, uh, heard about or interviewed uh, uh, a book writer who said, I had this great line and the lyricist put it into a song. Well, I've never heard anybody say that, but that, of course, um, is a very common uh, observation slash complaint. Um, Joe Masteroff fully admitted that um, many of his ideas and um, lines of dialogue, both in She Loves Me and in Cabaret, uh, were taken um, as as songs. Certainly, um, some, some line that actually is a lyric in So What in Cabaret I think it might be, and you learn how to settle for what you get. But certainly, Fred Ebb took a line uh, from that speech and made it into um, a lyric. Um, in fact, um, Steve Schwartz often says that what he prefers uh, is that somebody actually write a play and then give it to him, and then he'll find the songs in it, and that uh-huh. often he will. Um, you, know, you should pardon the expression, cannibalize um, and, mm. a line or an idea and turn it into a song. That's the way he likes to work. So uh, it certainly does happen, though I don't recall anybody ever telling me, um, you know, that was really my line. So I don't know that. I don't recall it specifically uh, in that sense either, but I have read um, several cases where either the book writer or the uh, the lyricist has come right out and admitted that they got the line, uh, you know, from the from the from the other person. Well, uh, no, it can work both ways. Yeah, another sometimes. great line, of course, is. Um, is a stage direction in Auntie Maine. So it, it, it qualifies for this conversation, and that is somewhere between 40 and death. And that, of course, was taken as a lyric um, in um, Bosom Buddies in Maine, the musical. But, you know, you really um, have to give Jerry Herman credit for reading that carefully, because so many of us, when we read plays, uh, skip over the stage directions. We think we're going to be all right without them. And, you know, and so, so many writers are so meticulous about their stage directions, to the point of which um, I saw a production of Once in a Lifetime, a play that got Moss Hart on the map, thanks in part to uh, George S. Kaufman. And this was Ann Bogart's production at um, ART in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And you could tell when she read the play, she said, you know, these stage directions are so witty hmm. that I'm going to insert them in the, in the production. And she actually had a voiceover read the stage directions because they were so funny. Hmm. I'm not saying she did every one. It seemed like she did every one, but um, I suspect she didn't. But nevertheless, there were enough in there to show us how meticulous they were in establishing what they wanted and how witty they were while establishing what they wanted. I'm sorry, what play did you say that was? Once in a Once Lifetime. In a lifetime. Yeah, because I think, I think there have been um, productions uh, uh, of O'Neill that do that. Oh, yeah. Because his, his stage directions are so... Uh, it's so voluminous and so so uh well written that people have done that uh-huh and i think recently too um some of those things that they've done uh off broadway you know who was in that once in a lifetime who steven sky bell was he really wow yeah he was earnest Oh, look at that. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, uh, Peter, there's another, uh, at least one other line from Auntie Mame that is in Bosom Buddies. Do you? No, I don't know that. What? It's, uh, I, it's, if I kept my hair natural like yours, I'd be bald. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's in the movie anyway, so I assume it's in the, it's in the movie of Auntie Mame. Right. So I yeah. assume it's in the play of Auntie Mame. It probably is. Yeah. No, it, it would be interesting to see what um, Common and Green did add. What, what of course, is of more than moderate interest to people who, uh, who certainly have followed their careers and, and know their shows inside out. You will notice that when we go to New Haven and you see the billing of um, all the people who are going oh, to right. be appearing in the show, <laughs> that Byron Prong is one of the... Um, actors in the show and they later use that name in their musical fade out fade in um so uh so well you know 
recycling. We're in the age of recycling. So uh, that was um, that was perfectly fine. A line I love occurs in Kiss Me, Kate. Now, you know, at the end of the first act of Kiss Me, Kate, Petruchio has just had enough from um, Katharina. And, um, well, actually, it's Fred who's had enough from Lily. And um, whether or not it's politically incorrect today, um, he, he does spank her. And um, after a tibition, she's still furious about this and indicates that she's really been beaten to a pulp by saying, call an ambulance. Well, she doesn't need an ambulance. I mean, really, she's been spanked, you know. But anyway, call an ambulance. Yeah. What a drama queen, you know, to uh, to say uh, like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what else, Michael? Uh, well, actually, my next one was going to be from Kiss Me, Kate. Uh, ah. I've always thought it interesting that uh, it's one of the early cast albums, um, and it has a little more dialogue on it than uh, most of them did in the uh, in the in those days. I, I forget had had Goddard Lieberson started. I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was a Goddard Liebeson album. And when he listened uh, over and over, he said, you know, I don't think dialogue's a good idea Yeah, uh, because he did feel that way. Right. Yeah. I know he did. That's why I asked. I'll have yeah. to double check. But at any rate, it does have not a whole lot, but a few lead ins. And um, one of them that I've always found hilarious, which I think is not verbatim actually in the show, I think, is... Um, uh, they're talking, uh, Fred and Lily are talking right before Wunderbar. And uh, she says, uh, remember that Viennese operetta when we mm-hmm. were both in the chorus? And he says, I beg your pardon, mm-hmm. Lily. I was the understudy. <laughs> 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 I think that that line is a, l- a little different in the show. But then uh, she has a line, which I think is verbatim in, in, in the script. She says, uh, there was a waltz in it, remember? Something about a bar. And if you don't, if you don't know the show, <laughs> you think, oh, she's going to write some song about having drinks in a bar right, somewhere. Right. <laughs> sure, because God knows the student prince, for example, drink, drink, drink. You know, right, I mean, it could very right. well be, but that's not what's on their mind, is it? So um, I think those lines add a lot, and I and I I I just love it that we had as our guest on this podcast, Patricia Morrison, who's, mm, who spoke some yes, of those indeed. lines. <laughs> yes, indeed. You know, um, there's a wonderful moment in Annie. Annie has been taken to the Warbucks mansion, <laughs> and Grace Farrell looks at her and says, Annie, what would you like to do first? And she says, the floors because she's expecting that they took her there to work. You know, it's not in her purview to think of herself as a guest. And of course, that brings up the fact you're our guest here for two weeks and leads into, I think I'm going to like it here. But but so wonderful that that is that you feel so bad for that kid at that moment that you really see her whole life encapsulated in two words. The Floors, a brilliant, brilliant line. So, uh, yeah, and I love In Fiddler on the Roof. Um, it's the end of the show, uh, virtually, and um, they're moving from Anna Tefka, and they have no idea what their future is going to be like. And the two little girls, the daughters four and five, who we don't really get to know, start jumping around and dancing around. And Golda comes <laughs> out and says, we're not in America yet. And that's such a great line because, of course, they're <laughs> expecting that America is going to be this loose country where um, anything goes and um, the, all this, the traditions that they've seen fall have long ago fallen in America and um, are pretty worn. So, um, so under those circumstances, <laughs> I think that's really quite a great line. God, Peter, there were so many in Fiddler. Oh, there. I, you yeah. know, and, and I... I, I think about the, the Danny Burstein revival of Fiddler mm-hmm. and the look on Danny's face when he, uh, it's almost he broke the fourth wall and, or he was looking at God and he says, five daughters. Mm-hmm. I just, the, the pain on his face. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Just, I love it when uh, Seidel early on is uh, complaining about, um, uh, who is she complaining about? She says, uh, uh, you know who about who she's worried about who she's going to have to marry and she says uh Baba, he's so old and golda says you want uh, no oh no where i already bald he's, yeah yeah he's bald i'm sorry <laughs> sorry i screwed it up she <laughs> says yeah and he's and he's he's bald he has no hair and golda says you want hair marry a monkey <laughs> <laughs> you know a line that really has influenced me tremendously uh, comes from 40 Carats. Um, it's based on a French play, and it's about a, a woman who's 40, 
and a young man falls in love with her. He's, um, I think he's 14 years younger. So he's 26 and she's 40. And she's very worried about this um, because she's worried what people are going to think. And she did have a husband. They're divorced, but they're very good friends, very good friends. And she is actually saying to him, what's it going to be like when we walk into a room? And he says to her, people take their cue from you. Mm -hmm. If you're comfortable, they'll be comfortable. If you act like you're nervous, well, then they're going to say, what is she doing with that young man? But if you make it seem logical, by the way, these are my lines, not uh, I'm, I'm, I'm extrapolating from what yeah. is actually said, um, that if, if you indeed um, act secure, um, nobody is going to question it. And, um, and I think that really is very good advice, very good advice indeed for all of us, that people take their cue from you. There are two lines from two shows that I was involved uh, with productions of them. And, and in both cases, I, I very much remember that I didn't think the lines were that funny and I didn't think they were going to get laughs, uh, but they absolutely did. And one is in How to Succeed. Uh, Finch has become vice president in charge of advertising. And now he finally has to Put, put up and mm -hmm. come, come, come up with some kind of an idea and actually do something. So he's kind of scrambling and he uh, outlines uh, his idea for this television special that they can do. And um, then they're talking about who's going to be on it. And he is talking about they need a, a woman to, to be the spokesperson or to be the, the, uh, the face of worldwide wickets. And, uh, and he suggests, uh, he goes, you know, maybe we could get someone like uh, Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> and one of the other executives says, uh, what about Queen Elizabeth? And Finch says, this is an American. <laughs> <laughs> and I did not think that was funny. The audience always loved it. The other one is in Damn Yankees, uh, where uh, Joe... Boyd has become Joe Hardy, young Joe Hardy, and but he misses his wife, so he comes. Uh, he arranges to uh, to come back and and meet her and actually board with her, even though she doesn't realize it's him. Anyway, and then he winds up being involved in this uh, engineered scandal, and they start calling him Shifty McCoy. Mm -hmm. And so he's uh, so he is there talking with his wife, Meg, and uh, and she says at one point, um, she goes, I don't know. I don't know why you call they call you that. You're not shifty. You're moody. Maybe mm -hmm. they should call you Moody McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, both those shows have lines that I love. Um, and um, how to succeed occurs in the, the, the scene that ends the first act where um, Hedy LaRue has been trying to vamp. Um, Finch and uh, is getting nowhere. And she certainly understands that he's in love uh, with Rosemary. But then she says, I guess I'll have to wait for that pigeon until after he's married. Mm. Great line, because it shows us that Hetty has more of a brain in her head than we've seen before. And also that she's had experience with this. And that uh, once a man um, is, is married, that uh, indeed um, he he can indeed be uh, susceptible to uh, to uh, women such as Hedy Larue and in Damn Yankees I love so much after Lola tries to vamp Joe singing whatever Lola wants Lola gets fully expecting that he is going to fall prey to her that he says but if it was you I promised to come home to you'd want me to wouldn't you whoa. That's another checkmate line. Um, just mm. so great. And and if, if you watch the movie, and you should, um, you will notice that Gwen Verdon drops her Spanish persona right there and says, "Oh, I see," mm -hmm. in her in her ordinary voice. And it because that's when she knows he's the real thing. What a beautiful thing to say! You know, it's so wonderful. Um, that has influenced me too. Um, and uh, so, you know, you can really learn a lot from musicals and um, and plays. Needless to say, so. Uh, but the, the that line teaches me a lot. One more I have, line. Uh... Oh, so I, I have a little bit of a blue line that just makes me laugh over and over, and I feel like a 12-year-old every time I think about it. From the producers, what line am I thinking about from the producers? 
You know, we were talking about this the other day, and um, so many <laughs> lines did come up, ranging from um, uh, I'm wearing a cardboard belt, um, <laughs> you know, all the way to uh, actors, uh, uh, actors of people. They are. Have you ever eaten with one? Uh, was was that one of yours? Uh, which no, you no, but those are also really wonderful ones. The one I'm thinking about is uh, even though we are sitting down. We are giving you a standing ovation. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, look, dance again. (laughs) Yes, yes. Yeah, Yeah, this isn't a well-known play. Um, Ironically enough, I I had a unique experience with this play. It tried out in Baltimore. Uh, Frank Gilroy wrote it. The guy who wrote the subject was Rose. This was called The Only Game in Town. It was a three-character play, two men, one woman. When it got to Broadway, all three performers had been replaced. I've never known such a house clean. This man have made a good trivia question, actually. Mm. But I've never known such a house cleaning. Now, granted, three people. But still, not one of the three survived. And you may know this play because it was made into a movie with the aforementioned Elizabeth Taylor and Warren Beatty. And um, it takes place in Las Vegas. And um, the Warren Beatty character is a gambler. Um, a, a gambler and he loses a great deal of money and he had a great deal of money and he lost it all. I mean, he just got cocky and lost it all. And uh, the Elizabeth Taylor character says to him tomorrow, it'll hurt less. Mm-hmm. And the day after that, a little less. And the day after that, a little less. And uh, when bad things have happened to me in my life, I've certainly had to remember that. And that has brought me some consolation because indeed um, each day does help a little bit more. Not a lot, but the point is what you do is you look to your progress and you look to your growth. And you really do take that into consideration rather than just look at the dire situation that it is going to hurt less each and every day. Peter, I missed what play was that? The Only Game in Town. Mm. It didn't last long on Broadway. Um, you, there's a fascinating story with this. I did a panel discussion with... Um, with Frank Gilroy, and I brought this up that it got a, a tremendous movie sale, a tremendous movie sale, $750,000 before it was produced. Hmm. Okay, now wait, it's even better than that. Frank Gilroy takes, he finishes typing, this is 1967, the script, and he takes it to the local Xerox place, as it was known, where photocopying <laughs> was done. It was called Xeroxing then. Mm-hmm because that was the machine that did it. Um, So it'll be ready tomorrow. He gets a phone call from Warner Brothers saying, "Um, listen, um, we hear your play. The only game in town is good. And um, uh, we'd like to get a copy. (laughs) He says, what are you talking about? Uh, I, 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 I just finished. I just brought it to the Xerox place. Yes. We pay money to the Xerox guy to read scripts that come in just on the off chance that they may be good and they're recommended to. He recommends oh them to God. us. And that's the beginning of how he got $750,000 for this play. Is that amazing? Wow. <clears throat> yeah. That know, is incredible. See, these are the things that we, uh, we bypass these days now that we email everything and don't bring that's it right. to the Xerox. That's place. right. See? Also, the smell of the Xerox. Can you still smell that? I can, mm, sm- I can yeah. still smell mimeograph from when mimeograph, I was. And yeah. Mimeograph. And the Xerox paper was so smooth and oh, yeah. shiny and curly. And <laughs> Memories. Maybe yeah. beautiful. And, yeah. <laughs> I've only heard about that. I'm not old enough. To yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right. You know, about that. So, uh, Michael. James, you quoted that blue line from the producers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there are um, uh, some in West Side Story in the in the show version that were adapted or kind of softened for the movie. And uh, since the movie is so popular, I think a lot of people don't even realize that um, there's this, the scene right before America where the shark men and women are talking. And one of the women says, uh, you know, about them coming to America. And she says that we came with our, our eyes open, our hearts open. And uh, in the movie, one of the guys says, you came with your mouth open. But in the show, he says, you came with your legs open. And I think maybe that was a good change because that's just a little too 
too harsh and explicit, I think, for, you know, for a scene like that. Um, and then there's another line where uh, really early on where Maria and Anita are talking the first time we uh, meet them. And uh, Maria is trying to, uh, uh, she, she doesn't want to wear this very, uh, very sweet, innocent looking white dress to the her first dance and mm -hmm. she says um uh, anita it is now to be a dress for dancing no longer for praying that's what she says in the movie uh and then uh well and then uh and then anita says with some of those boys you can start in dancing and end up praying but in the show Maria says, with some, uh, she said, it is now long to be, it is now to be a dress for dancing, no longer for kneeling. And Anita says, with some of those boys, you can start in dancing and end up kneeling. Mm -hmm. And there again, um, maybe just maybe a little, little too dirty. Uh, so I, I don't, um, I don't object to those particular uh, cleanups for the movie. Uh, in many cases, um, when lines are cleaned up for movies like that, they're really kind of silly, but I think those two are probably okay. You know, I, I was talking the other day um, about uh, the fact that the novelization of West Side Story mm, yeah. done by Irving Shulman, uh, who was a, an esteemed author in his own right. I mean, he, he also shortly after that had a big bestseller with um, a biography of Gene Harlow, but his book, The Amboy Dukes was a big bestseller in the forties. But anyway, uh, it's amazing that he did the novelization of West Side Story. And this was actually in the curriculum of the high school where I taught mm -hmm. in Arlington, Massachusetts way back when. And it was amazing to me that it was, uh, it was um, for high schoolers because it's far more frank than the movie, especially the point where Anita in the a boy like that scene um, accuses um, uh, Maria of, of consorting with Tony. And she actually says, he kills your brother and you sleep with him. What would you do if he killed your whole family? Walk the streets for him. And I'm surprised that's in a, especially, you know, back in the seventies when I was teaching that that was actually, um, a book in the high school curriculum, I would think that it would be a little too raw. But anyway, those who are interested in that novelization, which is really considered a work of art in its own right, you can now get it again. And ironically enough, when I was in Buenos Aires, there it was in hardcover in Spanish for like four pesos. And of course, I had to have it. I don't read Spanish, but it lives in this apartment, believe me. You know, and another really interesting aspect of that novelization I've always thought is that Shulman gives last names to the characters. Um, Riff is Riff Lorton. Uh, you know, we're, we're told in the show that Tony is Polish. Mm -hmm. So his last name is Wizek, W-Y-Z-E-K. Uh -huh. uh, and it's Bernardo and Maria Nunez and ch apparently uh, Chino Martin. Look at that. So I think that I always thought that was really interesting. So do you know if there's any uh, updated, uh, maybe reverting back to the originals for the upcoming Spielberg West Side Story movie? Well, I was wondering about that uh, because uh, the all I believe all the revivals I've seen have had those original um, lines as I quoted them. Uh, and as I said, the movie does not. But now I, I wonder if if he if they will feel that those are okay uh, as as we've heard uh, it seems that uh tony kushner has done a lot of rewriting so i don't know if, if those lines will survive well what's also interesting about that is that we haven't heard much about uh what changes have been made i, I i'm almost inclined to believe that like with the Book of Mormon, mm. all those people while developing had to sign non-disclosure agreements and the Beauty and the Beast people had to sign them to say they wouldn't tell how the magic tricks were done. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if we later hear that people involved with this website story had to sign non-disclosure agreements because we've heard so little about what this movie is going to be like. And um, I, of course, I understand that point of view. They want it to be a big surprise and who can blame them. But nevertheless... Why aren't we hearing more about what's going on with that movie? And supposedly, I mean, who knows with the virus, but supposedly we're going to see it in December. So we'll see. The only big thing I've heard, I don't know if I mentioned this, is apparently, and this sounds like a really good idea. Um, 
Kushner has worked into the plot the whole that whole tremendous controversy about urban renewal at the time, which in fact yeah. <laughs> was the case with Lincoln Center, right. where that entire neighborhood was mm. leveled uh, so that Lincoln Center could be built, and then. And then right before they started building, that's where the movie, A West Side Story, was filmed. Mm -hmm. So that is that would be such so appropriate. And it it really does add to the it just adds a little bit of, you know, um, socially, social political context to the to the story. And I, I think that to me sounds like a really good idea. If you did it in today's terms, you'd have to change Lincoln Center to NYU. You know, which is, uh, <laughs> taking yeah. over and uh, leveling all sorts of uh, neighborhoods. Um, so Paul Whitty uh, mentioned that he played Doc in West Side Story as a senior in high school. Wow. And uh, Shrank asks Doc, mind? And Doc says, I have no mind. I'm the village idiot. <laughs> yes. I, I love it. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the village, village idiot became quite a catchphrase in the 60s. And I wonder if that's why it happened. Um, it, maybe that was it. I mean, because Lord knows a lot of people saw the West Side Story movie. But um, one did hear that a lot. Um, even more than one what hears about traveling salesmen and librarians. A line I love in Follies is uh, at the beginning when Demetrio Eisman talks about the reunion and says, um, and lie about ourselves a little. Yeah, and um, Lord mm. knows uh, at any um, high school reunion, college reunion, any reunion, there has to be some of that going on. Uh, there just has to be that, that people yeah. um, <laughs> tell as much truth as they do in those letters they send out at Christmas telling you what a great year they had um, <laughs> and how everybody in the family is doing so yeah, well. Yeah. So and, uh, <laughs> another line uh, that he has in that speech, which I think has been cut from every production revival that I've seen, is um, he turns to the he, maestro. He says, don't trust any music over 30. Mm, yeah, <laughs> and and that was really quite a contemporary line back then. I mean, right, because, exactly. uh, because yeah. uh, the famous line about "Don't trust anyone over 30 right. um, was uh, very much known at that time. And of course, I think it was Jerry Rubin uh, when he turned 30. Of course, that was a big news event. And Lord knows he wishes he was 30 now because um, <laughs> 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 that was so long ago. I love in Chicago. This isn't a lyric, though it takes place in um, the song Roxy. Uh, talking about her past when she says, first we started fooling around and then we started screwing around, <laughs> which is fooling around without dinner. And uh, that was uh, really marvelous. Um, I, I will say that when I saw Chicago and it was just the um, 45th anniversary of my seeing it, I wrote a column on this, in fact, for um, Masterworks Broadway about seeing Chorus Line and Chicago on the same day. Uh, Liza Minnelli was doing uh, the part. And in that speech where she talks about, and we didn't get enough love in our childhood, <laughs> the, there was such a sound of, you know, uh, from the audience, because, of course, they were relating to Liza Minnelli's childhood, not Roxy's childhood. And um, it was a very pungent moment. Um, and I, I just wonder what it must have been like to be Liza Minnelli and hearing that for the, what, five weeks? I don't know, something like that she did in Chicago. I imagine she heard that virtually every night. Um, but, um, but it's interesting because I mean, that wasn't exactly her problem. I, I wouldn't say that not, I, I would say she had a lot of love from her mother and her father. It, it, there were other issues. Don't, wouldn't you say? Yes, but I think what it did was trigger the idea that, um, the childhood was not a uh, white picket fence. Um, and I right. think that's what it really was. Right. Um, so, um, so that speaking <laughs> of, uh, that family, one of the great lines, I hope I get it right. I never get it right. But one of the great lines of all time, even though it doesn't come from a Broadway show, certainly came from Judy Garland. I'll sing them all and we'll stay all night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, what an incredible thing. That has to be the greatest. And I hope I get it right. I usually miss it by a syllable or two. Mm. But um, but that has to be the greatest line ever said in a concert. Um, and, of course, the audience just loves it so much. Um, <laughs> Have you ever heard the story that that really wasn't recorded at Carnegie Hall? Yeah, you've. You, uh, uh, I don't know if you were the first time I heard it, but supposedly it's from Newark, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that they didn't know it was going to be such a big deal, and uh, after the Carnegie Hall reception, they thought, "Ooh, we got to do something." And Newark was um, a much more viable city than it turned out to be um, six years later when the riots happened. And um, but uh, Jerry Krupnik, who uh, was the TV. Um, 
critic at the Star Ledger, where I worked for many years, um, swore that that's what happened. Um, it, it was incontrovertible with him. He would not entertain any other theory. This was it. He knew for a fact. He saw Capitol Records bringing in the um, uh, the, the equipment. Blah blah blah. So um, so anyway, but but that's you know I mean that's that would still be hard to tell for sure because they could have done it as a backup. Sure, sure. Uh, mm-hmm. So maybe some of it is from Newark and some. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Or, we, or, we have to take it with a grain of salt, uh, yeah, even a yeah. shaker full of salt. So sure. Um, Lord knows there are plenty from Shakespeare, and yeah. one of my favorites is um, the devil can cite scripture to serve his purpose from the, the merchant of Venice. And it's so true that all of us, when we're looking to substantiate our arguments, we uh, cite certain things um, uh, to, to bolster our arguments, but everybody has things that he or she can go to to uh, say that he or she is right because so-and-so said and so-and-so did. Yes, but the devil can cite scripture to serve its purpose. Um, is really quite wonderful. Um, so, um, we'll have that this week coming up in the convention. Yes. <laughs> yes, well, we, <laughs> which brings me to my other Shakespearean quote, um, which comes from Julius Caesar when uh, Mark Anthony is about to show the body of Caesar when he says, if you have tears, prepare to shed them now. Right. A great line. And by the way, it's what I always say when people yeah. come to my apartment <laughs> um, before I let them in. If you have tears, prepare to shed them now, because this place, as both of you know, is chaotic beyond belief. <laughs> One of um, I have some Shakespeare's too, but uh, one more musical line that I think is certainly apropos to politics in the present day uh, is from Finian's Rainbow, where the bigoted Southern senator says, immigrants, my family has been having problems with immigrants ever since we came to this country. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, that is so brilliant because it's absolutely hilarious, but it's true. And it's not it's about something that's not funny. The best comedy is the true comedy. You know, it it really does come down to that. So uh, I also there are so many wonderful lines in 1776. It's almost a a crime to pick this one out. But I just love the euphemism when Richard Henry Lee says that he's going to stop off at home and refresh the missus. Um, I think that's such a wonderful euphemism for having sex. Mm -hmm. Refresh the missus. yeah, almost <laughs> every other line in the, the 1960 comedy, Mary, Mary, by Gene Kerr, Walter Kerr's wife, uh, is is quotable. And um, it, uh, it's a play, we'll, we'll have to talk about this uh, in that Kerr Lockhart uh, sequence about plays that really can't be done anymore. And I'll explain why when we do that show. But um, but anyway, this is a story about a guy who's having tax problems. And um, he says to his accountant, who's a very, you know, officious accountant, um, very much uh, by the book and um, that type of guy. But he does have a sense of humor, as he proves when uh, Bob, uh, the guy who's having income tax trouble, says, after all, this is, uh, <clears throat> and the accountant inter- <laughs> interrupts him and says, free country? <laughs> Don't you believe it? People get the most erroneous ideas from popular songs. If all you got is the sun in the morning and the moon at night, you're in trouble. And I think that's a terrific line among many in Mary Mary. Oh, hmm. that's the, yeah. An, another line uh, that's certainly appropriate to politics in the present day is from Butterflies Are Free. Uh, Jill and Don are talking and she's very much a free spirit mm-hmm. and she's telling him about how she um, originally uh, started to basically become a hippie to rebel against her mother. Uh, you know, she was wearing uh, long hair, stringy hair and far out clothes and beads and blah, 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 blah. But her mother loved it and did started to do the same thing. And, you know, how can you rebel against someone who's doing the same thing you are? So and then she says, so I went the other way and joined the Young Republicans for Ronald Reagan. Another <laughs> mistake. There's no such thing as a Young Republican. <laughs> What I love in Butterflies Are Free is um, Don Baker's mother shows up. She's supposed to stay away for a month, 
but mm-hmm. she shows up far earlier. Uh, he's blind and uh, he wants to be on his own. And she's always been super overprotective of him. And it's time for him to break out. And they've agreed that he will be away for a month living on his own, but she shows up and all that. And of course the girl, the young girl is in the apartment and she's very suspicious of this girl mm-hmm. and very suspicious and doesn't give her the benefit of the doubt and really thinks of her as well, what she is, this free thinking hippie. And, uh, and this is a real buttoned up, um, um, uptone suburban, um, but well-heeled lady. So at one point, um, um, she goes into the, uh, the mother goes into the refrigerator to, and sees that the only thing in there is an apple. <laughs> and she, um, says, would you like an apple? And the girl says, this reminds me of something. And what she means is Snow White with a wicked witch is giving the <laughs> apple to Snow White. Yes, yes. And um <laughs> and uh it's wonderful to hear she says, This reminds me of something. And Blythe Dana was so wonderful in the original pausing, thinking while the audience caught on that indeed um it was um that situation. So um and then she finally says, Oh, it's the wicked witch and Snow White. But um I mean, I know you're not the wicked witch. And that's a great line. However, the mother says, yes. And I know you're not Snow White either. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. You know, it's so wonderful when you think somebody has really got in the, the killer line and then the other person tops it. And that's a perfect <laughs> example of that. So uh, it, it, we were talking about how um, it's uh, kind of hard uh, to revive Butterflies of Free since it's so much of 1969. Again, this is Kerlock, mm. our territory. But you know, I think a lot of these plays should be done again. And what should happen is there's an enormous projection before the show starts, enormous, filling the whole stage, giving the year of the play. And also play every hit song that was done that year while people are walking in the right. theater. Really establish the fact that this is way back when. Um, and this is what it was like. And if you were there, you'll remember. And if you weren't there, if you were too young, you weren't remotely born. Well, then indeed, this is what it was like. So uh, period pieces really have a lot to offer in that way to show us where we've been. And now one reason why we, we've progressed from where we were. So I do think they're very valuable. But uh, again, don't make people think that because so many people go to shows and they really believe the time is now, you know, and they just naturally do. And um, unless, of course, they're in costumes like the King and I. But um, the fact remains that um, it's very important to establish that. Yes, it's in the playbill. But how many people look and do that in advance? Not very many. I completely agree about Butterflies Are Free. I'm sure I said I saw a reading not too many years ago up in Westport with Jonathan Groff uh, and Betty Gilpin and Blythe Danner now in the role of the mother. And ah. I thought it was 100%, 1,000% still viable. Wow. Oh, and one more line in that. I think that same scene is that, uh, as you said, uh, Don's mother immediately is very wary of Jill. Um, and uh, she's talking with her. And Jill finally uh, tells the mother that even though she's only 19, I believe she was, has already been married. married yeah. <laughs> and the mother says, well, how, you know, how long were you married? And she'll says for six days. And the mother says, and on the seventh day you rested. <laughs> <laughs> so it's full of stuff like that. It's really just wonderful. It sure is. It sure is indeed. And what's really kind of interesting, um, is Jill Tanner is her is her name and it's so close to John Tanner which is a character from Man and Superman and they're very different shows needless to say but um, uh, this discussion could not um, eliminate uh, or forget um, Mark Crowley's The Boys in the Band um, mm-hmm. and again no matter what issues you take with um, that anybody takes with uh, the fact that um, some people feel the gays are whiny and blah 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 all that stuff um, some of the lines are really great uh, there's one thing you have to say for masturbation you don't have to look your best um, <laughs> is certainly one of them um, when um, this is in the movie it wasn't in the original Broadway production uh, I understand it was actually in the off-Broadway production and it was cut along the way and I'm sort of surprised about it, but um, it was one of the first lines to come up um, and um, about uh, Donald using Michael's toothbrush. 
um, oh, and yeah. uh, uh, that um, the, Michael has made a point of getting a new toothbrush for Donald because I'm sick and tired of you using mine. Um, and um, and he says you've had worse things in your mouth. Now that has not um, been in the um, production uh, that was um, seen uh, off Broadway. Oh, certainly not originally, but I do. I think Mark Crowley told me that it, it was in, and then they dropped it because they were a little afraid that it was just a little too early to get that graphic. So, um, but it's a very clever line, and um, Lord knows the boys in the band has plenty of them. Uh, a, a great exchange that they have, um, maybe in that same scene, is you know they're preparing for this birthday party for Harold that Michael is throwing. But Michael is, you know, he says, he himself says, if there's one thing I'm not ready for, it's five screaming queens singing happy birthday. <laughs> and Donald, Donald says, who's coming? And Michael says, I think you know everybody. They're the same old tired fairies you've seen around since the day one. And Donald says, are you calling me a screaming queen or a tired fairy? And Michael says, oh, I beg your pardon. Six tired screaming fairy queens and one anxious queer <laughs> <laughs> and again that's language today that um does offend people but oh yeah um, again yeah. but it but it was um exactly right for the era exactly right indeed so uh um yeah oh i also um feel that um in Fiddler, um, the the exchange about um, the uh, the horse and the mule in the tradition uh, sequences is very skillful as well. I like that quite a bit, and um, I certainly um, feel that this. Yeah, a lot of times Joe Stein doesn't get as much credit as I think he deserves, um, and I think that recent revival really showed us the the Yiddish revival really showed us um, as we read. Uh, the lines that they really made even more impact. And um, mm, it's one yeah. of the reasons why Fiddler is one of the all-time greats and still, you know, gets done. I mean, uh, um, it's, it's a tremendous, tremendous achievement, and we're very lucky we have it. Um, Pygmalion, there's a line that apparently uh, went over like gangbusters. And um, it's not in My Fair Lady, and it's not in, in the in the show or the movie of my fair lady because it involves the uh, expression bloody which i think has never uh, really quite uh, carried quite the force for uh, for americans as it does for brits uh you know because maybe we don't really know the derivation necessarily until you are told what it is and then you're like oh i see uh, but um uh this is in the equivalent of the ascot scene which in the play Pygmalion takes place in um, Mrs. Higgins' home, her drawing room or whatever. They're having a, 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 a social gathering. And Eliza, that's where Eliza does the whole monologue about uh, her father ladling gin down her, her aunt's throat mm -hmm. and, and all of that. And so at the climax of it, uh, Freddie uh, turns to Eliza and says, are you walking across the park, Miss Doolittle? And she says, walk, not bloody likely. I am going in a taxi. <laughs> and it literally says in the script it says sensation because <laughs> hard to use that word in that context uh is just like she might have said you know bluminars yeah second yeah. cousin to bluminars right sure. exactly. yeah uh, no question it's so nice and she loves me she loves me you'll recall has two pen pals well more than pen pals uh, lonely hearts club members writing to each other they don't know they're working together and tonight's the night they're going to meet and uh george has no idea he's going to be meeting amalia who uh who he has not been getting along with at work so he takes sepos along with him and asks sepos to look in the window to see what who the girl is and of course sepo was astonished to find out that it's Amalia and um, and he tries to break it to him gently and um, you know, so what does she look like um, well um, you know she reminds me of someone in our shop you know, who who <laughs> well she she reminds me of Miss Balish well I thought you said she was attractive and he says I'm going to tell you right now if you don't like Miss Balish, you're not going to like this girl. <laughs> of course, it's one of the same. <laughs> so a very clever line. And, you know, I didn't see the original production, She Loves Me, but I did see a production um, in Boston uh, a year or so later with James Rado 
the author of Hair. Hmm. Oh, my God. Played really? George. <laughs> wow. And Jane Alexander was uh, one of the customers coming in and uh, sounds was uh, selling. Um, but anyway, um, the way that actor, I don't know who he was, delivered that line was so terrific. And I've never heard anybody deliver it as well. However, I've often wondered if he did it the way Nathaniel Frey did it. Um, or Frey, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. F-R-E-Y. Um, F-R-E-Y. Yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, but he did it with such force. You know, you're not going to like this girl, and nobody ever says it that way. And I just wonder um, if if that was the actor's own invention, or indeed um, he had seen the original, or the director had seen the original, and said, "Here's the way to do it." But it did seem very natural to me. If if you know, don't know who I'm talking about, he's the heavy set ball player in um, Damn Yankees, um, mm-hmm. singing Heart. Um, so. Uh, so as a result, uh, I've often wondered about that. That's a great line, no matter who says it. <laughs> All right. So I think that that uh, are just some of the, our favorite lines, but we'd love to hear from listeners what your favorite lines are. So email us or touch base with us on Facebook or Twitter at Broadway Radio. I'm going to wrap up now. you guys have anything else you want to throw in before we go? I did want to mention that uh, as of now, um, Ma- the great Marilyn May oh, yeah. Yeah, is yeah. scheduled to perform live in Provincetown this coming weekend at the Crown and Anchor Outdoors with lots and lots of re- re- social distancing restrictions in place. Um, easier to do with a, a one-person show than a show like Godspell, which um, uh, is that still running in Pittsfield? I think so. Yeah. Um, but anyway, she she is. I, I wish I could be there, but I, I, I don't think it's going to be possible for me. But if perchance you are going to be in Provincetown this weekend, it's Saturday, the 29th at uh, 630, Sunday, the 30th at seven and nine. And then Monday, August 31st and Tuesday, September 1st, at 530. So with uh, Billy Stritch at the, in the, at the piano Correct. Uh, in a Glinda bubble. Hmm. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> Rising above the stage. All right. So I'll have a link to that in the show notes with uh, Marilyn, uh, Marilyn May at the Crown and Anchor uh, so that you can find that quickly and you have uh, about a week or so to get out there to see her. So I'll remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to us. iHeartRadio plays us. Tune in, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can find finer podcasts, you can find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes as well at broaderradio.com. And uh, so on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Irresistible, you fool Give in Give in